This week, let's talk about how to keep it simple when creating content marketing for complex markets and industries, and just what is the role of creative agencies in this process. My guest is Anu Ramani, and this is episode 280 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This podcast is all about keeping marketing simple and all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a professional speaker and consultant from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the complexity and the BS from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. This week, we're going to be talking about how to keep it simple in complicated industries. Now, let's face it, financial services is one of the most complicated industries there is. All that jargon that we use and all the different types of financial products but there are other industries that are just as awash with jargon and gobbledygook. Mobile phone, many tech industries, absolutely cluttered with bloat. My guest this week is Anu Ramani, and she has set up a company, Isoline Communications, to specifically work with complex industries to put together really simple content. So it's an absolutely fascinating discussion on how to keep things simple. So let's get straight into that interview with Anu right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Anu, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, Roger. Great to be here. It's great to have you on the show. And where are we Zooming each other from now? I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Well, I live I live in London, and today is one of our remote working days. We have gone back to the office two days a week from King's Cross and three days a week from our home. So I'm speaking to you from a rather grey Wimbledon today. <laughs> and you work with a company called Isoline Communications. You focus on global tech B2B brands, and you help them with their content marketing. And this this is right up my street, Anu, because as you know, I'm, um, I, I'm really obsessed with keeping things simple. And we know that technical industries, technical brands tend to be a little bit awash with jargon and, and gobbledygook and, and management speak and that sort of thing. So I'd be fascinated how you actually engage with those businesses and help them to create content that perhaps is simple rather than overly complicated. But before we get into that, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, uh, how your career developed, and basically what makes you tick, Anu? Sure, I'll do that, Roger. Um, well, I'm here because of accident. Um, so I would have very much loved, I mean, I, I've always loved advertising. I was one of those people who, who would, uh, back in the day, I used to look at magazines for the ads. I used to remember every advertisement that was shown on TV. I would be able to sing jingles. So I was always fascinated by advertising, marketing, that whole area of, of helping people make up their minds. And, um, so after I, I, I finished university, I joined J. Walter Thompson, uh, which is a, a global advertising um, chain. And it just so happened that uh, I have a degree in computer science as well. And so I was naturally just given all the techie brands. 
Yeah. So I worked in India and then Singapore, Hong Kong, here in the UK. And I did a couple of years volunteering in Africa as well. And I've just always been given all these amazing technology brands um, as long as I can remember. So I, I worked on Nokia, SAP, Singtel, Cisco, Intel, Sienna, Alitelesis, Cambridge Consult, you name it. It's just a roster of these fascinating technology brands, which sort of their view of the world is very interesting because it's always about five or 10 years into the future. Um, I remember working on the first uh, ads and promotions for 3G back in 1998 when I used to live in Singapore. Right. And in those days, you only had the feature phones. Smartphones hadn't come along. Yeah. And we were. I remember all of us talking about how are we going to be able to watch TV or a movie on this little phone? And wh why would I want to do that? So, you know, ways in which we just couldn't have seen the world develop. Um, and I'm just... I, I don't know. That kind of fascinates me and makes me tick. And I think that's what makes everybody at my company tick. And and what was the development process behind Isoline Communications? Was there something related to the fact that it was all about technology? Was there a light bulb moment when you thought, this is the direction that I want to go in? Well, it um, yes, I did. I spent about 20 odd years working for uh, advertising agencies, PR firms, web development firms, just everywhere throughout the marketing mix. And I started to see that more and more companies, especially in tech B2B, which has always been my space, companies were asking more and more for leads. How can you help me develop leads? How can marketing deliver better sales ROI? And at that time, back in 2015, content marketing was becoming this thing. And when I started the company in 2015, there weren't that many content marketing agencies who focused on this niche. You had plenty of tech B2B PR firms, uh, agencies, and so on, but no content marketing companies that focus on the niche. That's why I thought, okay, let me go into it. And I'm going to give it a punt. Um, I, I'm very risk averse, Roger. And <laughs> it took me a really long time to talk myself into, okay, let me let me try it and see if, if, it's, uh, if it's exciting, if it's fun, if it's profitable after five years, then I'll just keep going for another five years. So that's exactly what's been happening. It is exciting and fun and yeah, profitable despite the worst then COVID can do to us. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are, we are a little company of nine people now and uh, yeah, an, a, a, an assembly of geeks. Yes, that that word. I love that word. And, and funnily enough, I do have a second podcast, which I do with a friend of mine called Pascal Fintoni. And the title of that podcast is Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Um, and we, we actually talk about marketing. We also talk about films as well, hence the, hence the geeks. And, and I love the fact that on your uh, website and actually on your LinkedIn page as well, it, it actually says, we're all geeks. We confess. We love, <laughs> yeah, we love first figuring out how stuff works and then and finding ways to communicate it in an evocative and, and accessible ways. And there's there's lots of things that you said there that I really like as well. I mean, the fact that you grew up loving advertising, it reminds me of myself. You know, I remember my English teacher when I was probably only about nine or 10, reading extracts from a book, which is probably millions of years out of print now. It was called The Hidden Persuaders. And it was a book about advertising. And I always used to 
keep a scrapbook of adverts that I'd seen in magazines or even on television that I liked at the time. So it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how these fascinations can develop from from an early age. So uh, obviously, back in 2013, 2014, I was leaving big corporate, and one of the reasons I left big corporate was because I was getting very interested, just like you were, in content marketing, and I was marketing director and. I just found it very, very difficult. It was a financial services company and there was such an inbuilt resistance to this new thing called content marketing. Uh, and I was just sitting there thinking, no, this is the future. This is the way we should go. And I just couldn't get that buy-in. But what was also true at the time was that I was I was in, in talking to advertising agencies and PR agencies, and none of them were talking about content marketing either. I almost felt like, am I the only person in this industry who knows what content marketing is? So <laughs> I, I think you were right to f decide that there was a niche there, because at the time, I genuinely don't think any of the agencies had, had realized what was going on. Yeah, or maybe they, the, maybe the writing was on the wall and it just takes people longer to see it. You know, they need to see the investment moving before people decide to, you know, that that it's a thing. That's yeah. always the case with disruption. <laughs> now, the couple of the things that I thought would be really interesting to talk to you today were a couple of big topics that always come up on the marketing and finance podcast. And uh, the topics that I talk about when I go out doing um, speeches at, at conference events as well. And the first of those is complexity. And, and we'll maybe leave that to, till second to talk about and the language that you use and the fact that the tech industry does tend to use quite complicated language. But the first thing is that I am becoming more and more concerned day by day that marketing as a discipline has been hijacked by this word digital. Now, marketing to me, being a career marketer, being having done a part, a part marketing degree at university, marketing is this whole process that starts with a customer need and develops through a process of identifying that customer need, creating a product to fulfill that customer need, solve that customer problem, price it, and then communicate it to the market. Whereas today, it seems to me that all we ever hear about from people when you hear the word marketing is digital tactics, like we're on social media, or we're doing email, or it's SEO, or it's keyword stuffing, or it's being on Clubhouse and stuff like that. And I genuinely think that a lot of people think that that is all that marketing is. I, It's just the communications bit, the promotions bit, and that we've actually forgotten how to do the research into the customer's needs. And I know it's a little bit different in the B2B space because your customer is another business rather than an end consumer on the street. But what, what's your view on that? And do you find that that is, a, is, a, is either a problem or an advantage for you in an agency position? You're very right, Roger. Marketing, which was originally a combination of product, price, place, and promotion is now really synonymous with promotion. And marketing, as you said, is seen very much as marketing communications. Yeah, um, And that's because a lot of specializations have grown up, I think, like market research, for example, in, in a tech B2B space, especially in large companies, you know, with, with, with a global remit and so on, you will have a subdivision of the marketing team, which is just called market intelligence or competitive intelligence or whatever it may be. Yeah. And they are just in charge of research, whether it is 
buying uh, specialist research or commissioning original research, etc. Um, you have teams like product marketing yeah. who are um, who are responsible for product development and uh, product refinement based on inputs from uh, from customers and prospects, etc. Then you have the marketing communications teams. Then you have the marketing programs teams. So a lot of it is you know is fragmentation under an overall function. Now, as a content marketing agency. Uh, or any agency really who's in the in the marketing space, it's our responsibility to try and speak to as many of these other subdivisions of marketing as possible, and not be not take the lazy way out, right? Yeah. And say, okay, I'm just going to take the brief I'm given, and I'm going to produce stuff um, based on the letter of this brief. Yeah. It's up to us to try and constantly elevate the conversation and try and find out. Um, what it is that the the product is trying to do, what pain points it's trying to address, where the market opportunity is, all the other good stuff that you were talking about. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what you've described there to me is is going on in a lot of companies, and it's almost like a silo mentality, isn't it? Very and, much so. And I get, I guess that you know the product marketing people that you mentioned and the marketing communications are actually probably not talking to each other, which mm-hmm. is you know. Almost, you know, you think, how can that possibly be? But I know it it happens because I've worked with companies where it does happen. And that is why I just feel this whole process is is potentially creating a problem for us. And also as an agency, um, I've I've briefed agencies many times over the years and I've been on the other side where I've had people brief me. And again, what I find these days is that the brief will say something like, um, we aren't on Twitter get us on Twitter in a creative way. Or even more, even more, write us a white paper. That's the brief. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Write us a white paper. Now, again, you can't do that, can you, without knowing what the offer of the of the of the business is you know what who the, who their customer is what their what their customer's problem is and what their product is that they is is solving that and also what the goal goals of the white paper are what why do they actually want you to produce that and i think that because we've lost that end to end starting at the customer ending in the communications because we've lost that whole process and we now just talk about marketing as communications we are making it harder for ourselves because you you, are, you can't meet a brief that says do as a white paper so you end up filling in the gaps that the person who briefed you should have actually given you in the first place that is true and uh, i mean two things right first is if if marketing agencies accept that position right? We get pushed down so low in the value chain, we ultimately become writing vendors uh, or design vendors. That is not where, that is not the best place to get value from a good marketing agency. There are people here who have experience, who understand how the sector works, who have a bigger view than an in-house person does because we work with more companies. And you know, it's it's down to the agency and the company to get best value out of that. Paradoxically, I find some of the sort of growth stage companies are very aware of this, and uh, you know, there are there are we have some clients who are absolute role models in in how they share information, how open they are, how willing they are to engage in debate. But you are absolutely right that there is a silo mentality um, pervasive in many large organizations and. Uh, it, it's just so regrettable because it's to everybody's detriment. 
And I think that's a that's a takeaway that I'd like people who are listening to this episode of the show to reflect upon. Because if you are going to go to an agency and say, write as a white paper, what you've actually got to say to the agency is that this is the customer that we target and give them the demographic. This is the problem that the customer has. And this is how our product or our service solves that problem. And the aim of the white paper is to, and whatever that aim might be, get more customers, create PR opportunities, whatever it might be. And then what you do, you're then you've got all the information you need to be creative. And that's what you do. You are the creative agency to create the content or whatever it might be. But without all of that information, you effectively haven't got as much time to spend on the creativity because you've got to go and do it and, and rummage around and find all the other stuff. Very true. And Roger, can I ask you a question? Of course. Uh, what what is what is the ceiling of the room that you're sitting in? What does it look like? The ceiling of the room I'm I'm sitting in is yeah. uh, it's a it's a it's white. It's just plain white. So when you wanted it painted, you probably went on Checker Trade or TaskRabbit or whatever, and you said, "I need my ceiling." And then the guy came along and said, "Please paint it matte white. That's fine yeah. by me." Yeah. Right. But imagine if Pope Julius had said that to Michelangelo when he was talking about the Sistine Chapel, just paint the ceiling made. But we have, you know, there were conversations there that we can only imagine today, right? About, you know, who's going to see it? What do they have to feel? What does this have to convey? What am I trying to say about what I believe about myself, the kingdom of God, you know, the, the flock that I take care of, you know, my belief, my how, how much insight, you know, that all didn't come out of Michelangelo's head and Pope Julius saying, off you go paint the ceiling, right? There was there was a lot of depth there to that brief that was given. And that's the question we should all be asking. Are we trying to produce Roger's ceiling here, white ceiling? Or are we trying to produce something like the Sistine Chapel or some some, you know, something in between? Yeah. Right. And and the, the kind of brief you are given. 100% determines the kind of output you produce. Absolutely there is, right. There is nothing else. There is it's the simplest equation in marketing there is. Yeah. And I think it might have been you who said this in, in one of our earlier discussions before we hit record that you also get somebody who says, I want you to paint my ceiling. And then when you arrive to do the painting, you find that there isn't even a building in the first place. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, and we've got, I mean, that's part of what, what we try to do where, okay, if you say, write me a white paper and say, okay, that's great. Now let's talk about who are we talking to in this white paper and have you thought about that and where is it going to sit and how is it going? So it's part of, it's not all just uh, you know, the, the client's responsibility to pull all that together. It's also agency's responsibility to have that patient di dialogue yes. and understand what, what is available, what is not available, you know, and, and tease out all the information that's needed. So it's also irresponsible of the agency to say, oh, we were given a bad brief, so we, we wrote bad copy. Or, or, or created bad uh, bad content. That's just not acceptable either. Yeah, you don't want all of that blame happening um, after the uh, campaign's finished to say, well, it was exactly. your fault because you didn't brief us properly. But <laughs> well, so, why so, didn't you ask me? Right? <laughs> exactly. So, so let's talk about the complexity now, Anu. Um, and, and as I say, my background, I've worked in financial services on and off for over 25 years now, and there probably aren't that many other industries other than financial services that have got so much complexity and jargon in them. But I imagine that technological brands like telecoms and that sort of thing, they have their own language and their own jargon at the moment. And, and I'm hearing and doing a lot of reading about 
blockchain at the moment and Bitcoin and, and NFTs and uh, metaverse. And it's a whole just complete melee of, of, of jargon, isn't it? Now, Absolutely. To, to a certain extent, if you're doing B2B, as long as the two Bs talk the same language, I guess it doesn't matter. But I've always had this problem even with that, is that if you create that mentality at the B2B level, eventually that language, that confusion is going to seep down to the the actual end customer. So because you specialize in a technological market, how do you approach simplifying the language that they use? And I guess you also get resistance from them as well, to, they don't want. They don't want to stop talking tech, do they? They want to carry on talking tech. Yeah, absolutely right. There, there is that resistance. There is the challenge. You know, buzzword stuffing, buzzword bingo. There are so many phrases for it, aren't there? Um, and uh, there, there is. You, you are right. There is. You know, this huge magnetic. You know, I, I call it an elastic. It's like there's this big elastic that is pulling people to communicate in a certain way, you know, platform, solution, heuristic, machine learning, AI, NLP. I can give you jargon. I mean, you can have a jargon battle, I think. But it's true. It's absolutely true. And um, there's just one simple thing uh, that leads to this, and that is a lack of clarity. So very often, right, this buzzword stuffing, this whole jargon filibustering, is just a symptom of a bigger problem. Um, and that problem is so simple. It is not understanding your audience. That's all there is to it, right? So, um, you know, this very often we run into this situation, you know, where we get briefings about campaigns, about whatever it may be. And in that briefing, say if we have an hour to talk about it. Out of that hour, 50 minutes will be spent talking about the tech stack, they're talking about the application, the all the bits and pieces that went into the into the development of the solution, the advantages it has against the competitors, all the rest of it. And then I I mean I can tell you in a week there will at least be half a dozen times when I say, okay, before we end, can we spend some time talking about the customer, please? Who are we? creating this campaign, this piece of marketing, this asset for. Um, And when I ask that question, I'm not talking about this cliche persona, you know, I'm not interested in knowing if if it's a 45-year-old man with an 11-year-old son who goes and plays coaches rugby at the (laughs) weekend. That is, okay, that is helpful. I'm not, I'm not dissing it at all. It is very helpful especially if you're doing advertising campaigns, you know, big thematic campaigns. But when it comes to content marketing, the nitty gritty of content marketing, what I need to know is this prospect that we are addressing through this piece of content, what does he already know? Where is he coming from? What is his competitive set? What is his frame of reference? I need to understand these things. Um, And in the earlier days, right, it was the job of the sales guy to find this out, right? There would be conversations that were had, which had subtext, the casual, in meeting, and then the salesperson would tease out this information and then be able to go in with a pitch that absolutely pressed all the right buttons. But today, we know two things. The first is that tech B2B buyers want to spend up to two thirds of the purchase journey autonomously, 
they want to read stuff, they want to educate themselves, they want to understand before they pick up the phone to a salesperson. They are strangely averse to engaging with sales early in the journey. So content has to address all these nuances. The second big thing is convergence, okay? And what this means is, is as follows. Say, for example, <clears throat> I'm somebody who works for Volvo, right? Until today, and I'm a tech B2B kind of, I'm somebody who makes tech decisions. Until today, all I needed to know was how cars worked. Okay, But today, I need to understand how cars can be connected. I need to understand about the tech stack, the telecom stack. I need to know about IoT connectivity. I need to know about cloud communications because all that is now inside my car. Yeah. Right. And but that's not my heritage. I'm an automobile engineer. So I am making decisions. And me, look at me, Roger. Okay. I run a content marketing agency. I have in the past year and a half made decisions on collaboration platforms, cloud storage platforms, password crypts a whole bunch of other techie things that I never did before because we are all digitalized. Everyone is. So we are all making decisions in areas we don't know much about. We are tech B2B buyers, but we are not savvy. <laughs> and this is the name of the game. This is why we need to have such a crystal clear understanding of the audience. They are intelligent people. They are techies. They are just not techies in the field you want them to be. And there is a grave danger in assuming that. That is why stuffing content with jargon, especially at the beginning of the content journey, right? When someone is just doing the information search, when so at that point, they you are actively doing yourself a disservice by getting too techie. So this is why that conversation about who is the audience, what do they understand, becomes so critical. And once there is an agreement that has been achieved at that level, it becomes easier to simplify the language a little bit. And yeah. this is where, where we go back to what you said earlier, right? Which is, where is marketing? Uh, where is research? We need to have all those inputs in here to understand exactly who we are talking to, because then we know what to say. That is basic, such a long answer to your question. No, but, but it's absolutely right. And it always comes back to a deep, almost obsessive understanding of the end customer. You know, I, I always come back to that point in the podcast and, and when I'm talking to my own clients, if you understand the customer, you'll know what turns them on, what turns them off, what language they like to use. And, and okay, if they like jargon and they like gobbledygook, then give it to them. But I tend to find that on the whole, most people would prefer to talk in plain language um, and plain language can be so much more engaging than gobbledygook and jargon. Yeah, there's a time and place for the jargon which is definitely deeper into the purchase journey. You know, when I have made, when I have decided on certain elements, I'm comparing two different solutions. Yes. Then it makes sense to start talking about, I don't know, bit rates or whatever it may be, but not at the early, especially when you are painting that initial, the pain point driven top of funnel content, you know, it's inexcusable to stuff it with jargon. Oh, I have, I have a quote for you. Uh, it just reminds me, uh, you said you're a film geek. Um, I, and I'm sure you watched Princess Bride, one of the great classics. <laughs> yes. And you know Inigo Montoya, right? You killed my father, prepared to die. And he says, okay, he says about when Vizini keeps saying inconceivable, inconceivable, Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's that's the approach. 
that's what you need to remember when we talk about jargon. That's really interesting. That's a really interesting quote. I love that. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, Anu, maybe give me an example of, and you don't have to name a brand if you don't want to, if that breaks any um, confidentiality, but maybe give you an example of a piece of work that you've done, which maybe encapsulates some of the things that we've talked about today. So the brief in the strategy and, and the simplicity of the language to, to ultimately put together some content that's really engaging and that actually fulfills the brief and actually fulfills the goal and helps them to to grow. Well, there was, there's, there's this great report that was put out by HP Reavers, who is a smart workspace solutions provider. So they basically produce, uh, they, they basically develop workspaces and the technology that goes into these workspaces to ensure that, for example, the humidity, the temperature, you know, the, the carbon concentration, all the rest of it is also absolutely optimal for people. But they produce a report. Uh, this was back during, um, you know, in, in, in the, at the height of COVID, right, where everybody was working remote 100% of the time. And they developed this report called The Future of Work, where they spoke to employees, employers, and industry experts. And they wove all this together into one cogent piece of content that allowed people like me people who run offices and facilities to understand what their peers and employees were thinking about going back to work, what they wanted from their workspace, you know, um, what the right strategies were to, to, to go back. So instead of going back into, yeah, oh, this, this, this smart sensor technology allows me to do this and this monitor allows me to do that, they took, they said, okay, that's not the pain point that customers are facing right now. Customers are, are facing a much more fundamental issue. They're going to be, you know, we were speaking about events in London, right? How do we get people safely back into the office, addressing their concerns, you know, being a different organization? And that's the report they produced. Mm -hmm. It links in beautifully into their solutions, and the, but that's later in the funnel. There's no need to do top, middle, and bottom of funnel in the same piece of content. Mm -hmm. That's a, I, I thought that was just a masterly piece of, Classic tech B2B. So, you know, without the benefit of lots of bells and whistles, viral videos, just solid content that adds value to people that it, who get it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, we hear a lot of gurus say, oh, video is the only way to go now. And, you know, 90% of content that's consumed will be video. But I, I do think that people sometimes still like to read things and to listen to things, you know? And again, it's all about understanding your audience and they will tell exactly. you how they want to exactly. consume the content that you're pro providing. So Anu, uh, you've probably answered this question a few times already, but I always ask it towards the end of um, a discussion on the Marketing and Finance podcast. What would you say was the one big thing that you'd like the people listening to this episode to take from the experience you've had building Isoline Communications and the experience you've had with your career and the tech industry? Wow, that's a big one, Roger. Um, <laughs> the essence, uh, I think, of any strategy be it whether you want to start an agency or be it what I want to do in my next campaign. I think the big, the big thing is that the essence of every strategy is sacrifice. You have to decide what you want to do and then you should not do the things you don't want to do. That is very frightening. You want to talk to every type of audience in every piece of content 
I want to address every type of vertical with my with my agency. It won't work. You just have to decide what to focus on and focus on that. But that is such good advice. When you put a strategy together, it's as much about what you're not going to do, about what you are going to do. And I think that a lot of the mistakes that a lot of companies make is that they don't identify what they're not going to do. And then they end up trying to do everything. And that just actually um, sabotages the whole initiative, doesn't it? It stops them from achieving their goals. Whereas if they've been clear at the start we're not doing that, then they don't get sucked into it and everything is a lot more streamlined and a lot more successful. Yeah, very scary to do, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it works. So it's been really fascinating talking to you this afternoon and we could talk a lot longer, I'm sure, because I, I really do think that we um, agree on quite a lot of things when it comes to complexity and when it comes to strategy and when, when it, it comes to the way that agencies work with clients. What's the best way that people should get in touch with you, Anu, whether it's they want to talk to you personally or they want to do business with Isoline Communications? Well, uh, visit our website, uh, www.isolinecoms.com. Find us on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Anu Ramani on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to have a chat. Or just email me, anu at isolinecoms.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the Marketing and Finance podcast. It's really been interesting to talk to you today. May I wish you every success for the future and hopefully I'll be able to meet up with you for a coffee at some point in London when all this ridiculous COVID stuff finally, finally drifts away. (laughs) I look forward to it, Roger, and I will hold you to that. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you need help with your marketing, please get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to work with you. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.